up, everybody, and welcome to episode 75 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on a fine Sunday evening, a very, very late Sunday evening um, from parts unknown at this point. Uh, I will be uh, by myself today on the podcast, so probably a little bit shorter than normal. Uh, uh, sort of, I'm, uh, I'm traveling, and the internet situation is not great here, not enough to really support a, uh, a joint venture via Skype, which is how we normally record, so uh, sort of a look behind the curtain there as to our recording process, but uh, so you just get me today uh, answering some questions, writing down the news, and uh, hopefully you guys won't hate the sound of my voice by the, by the end of the podcast. It's happened once or twice before in the history of the show, but uh, we'll definitely be back uh, next week with an, uh, an episode with someone else on it. So you're, not, so you're not subject to just, to just me for two episodes in a row. Uh, I get back late next week, and we'll have a show uh, post trade deadline. So a little bit of a of a preview there. But obviously, the Braves uh, not not great end to the uh, weekend with back to back losses to the Dodgers, uh, six to two on Saturday, and then a ten inning four, five four loss on Sunday. If the Braves had won both those games, they would have had an opportunity to uh, go go above five hundred, but uh, never really in great shape on Saturday. And of course, Sunday, Jim Johnson gives up. Um, the run to uh, to lose the game uh, late in uh, in in Los Angeles, but still, you know, on the bright side here, uh, going into LA against the team that was, I believe, they were 31 and four before the series started, and taking two out of four from the Dodgers is a big time win. Obviously, you'd like to see uh, the Braves capitalize on an early exit from Clayton Kershaw on Sunday in a little bit better fashion, but uh, no shame whatsoever in uh, going two and two in that um, sort of a, on that road trip, um, that mini road trip to uh, LA, obviously. The uh, Braves now have seven more games on the road, uh, three in Arizona and four in Philadelphia before they finally return home to see the Dodgers again at Central Park to begin uh, the month of August. But so far, uh, post-All-Star break, the Braves are now 5-5. Five and five. And uh, again, against the schedule with Arizona, Chicago, and the Dodgers, that's just fine and uh, really probably better than I thought uh, it, that it would have been before um, – sort of seeing that schedule come out. Um, you know, aside from that, uh, of course, the headliner of the week was the Jaime Garcia trade, non-trade scenario. As of this moment, he's still on the roster. Um, of course, he had sort of a legendary performance in his uh, his last start on Friday night. It was, uh, uh, I was I was critical of the Braves' decision to even start Garcia. Uh, for those of you that missed it, there was a trade that basically fell through with the Minnesota Twins um, earlier that day and then I guess into the previous night a little bit. Um, but Garcia ended up being on the roster. Uh, the trade wins were still blowing uh, before the start and the Braves elected to pitch him, uh, risking the injury stuff and, and the and sort of even beyond that, the ineffectiveness uh, that, could, that could have cost him some trade value on Garcia. But he pitched very well, seven innings, seven, hit, seven hits, three earned runs, and also uh, smacked a grand slam, um, which was pretty hilarious uh, in that game. And the Braves uh, ended up having the, the runaway victory at 12 to 3 against the Dodgers. But um, I, I strongly suspect that Garcia will be traded before the All Star break. I'm sorry, before the trade deadline, not the All Star break. We were post All Star break now, but. Um, basically, all of the reporting uh, out there that's basically talking about the fact that Garcia will almost certainly be off the roster uh, before the uh, deadline passes. Um, he also could be a waiver guy if the Braves wanted to hold on to him. They, they could probably sneak, sneak, him with, sneak him through waivers potentially uh, post July 31. But uh, aside from that, I think we'll probably see him dealt in the next seven days. And that seems to be all the reporting in that direction at this point in time. So there's that, as well as uh, Dansby Swanson is the other sort of headliner, and that he is uh, really struggling. Obviously, yeah, that's the big thing with uh, Swanson. 
then of course about seven days ago now, almost six and a half, seven days ago, uh, word broke from Brian Snicker that Swanson was not going to be in the lineup every, on an everyday basis um, for the uh, time being. And since then, he basically hasn't done anything. He was uh, over four, uh, you know, was it over four, over five, over two, over three since that time period? I think it's Swanson's confidence is uh, pretty much shot at this point. At least if I had to, to uh, speculate on that, he is still 23 years old. I was critical of this decision, and I still am, uh, even with the caveat that he's obviously been pretty bad when he's actually played in the last couple of games. Uh, it has much more to do with the fact that I think, you know, for his long-term development, he needs to play every day, even, even though he is struggling, obviously. Uh, I think people took it to believe when I was uh, being critical of the decision that I thought Swanson was definitely the best option. Uh, that's, not, that's not what I was saying. It was all it was all about his development. I think this season, for the most part, is a uh, not, not a lost cause, obviously. It's been a lot of fun, honestly, for the most part, um, for, the, for the Braves this, this season. But in terms of the playoff race, I think it's pretty much over at this point. There's at least a, a twinkle uh, that, the, that the Braves could get sort of get red hot here and uh, still be able to carve out a spot in the uh, at least in the race for the playoffs. But uh, Swanson's long-term development is uh, paramount for the for me in that way. And uh, with that said, I think you, I think you should be playing every day, either in the minors or the majors. It would not have uh, upset me at all. If Dan Vivo was demoted, honestly, um, if he had been asked to play basically every day in Gwinnett, that would have been just fine with me. Um, but sticking him on the bench in the major leagues is something that I would not endorse. You know, you know not, not, not everybody um, agrees with me in this way, and that's that goes without saying. I mean, even people that I trust uh, sort of, I guess, oh, sort, I guess just weigh the, uh, the, the the virtues of being in Atlanta full-time and being around that staff and being around the coach, you know, all the other players is a, at a higher at a higher level than I do. I want Swanson to play every day, and, uh, you know, that's not going to do him any favors to jerk him around and not give him regular playing time. I understand Johan Camargo has been very good this season when compared to Swanson. Obviously been the better player recently and a more productive player. Uh, that kind of goes without saying, but, you know, at the same time, Camargo is a guy who is not nearly in the prospect stratosphere of Swanson. He's a, he's a far less talented player. I understand the age is, the age is uh, similar in that way, but uh, Swanson's pedigree is obviously what it is versus Camargo's. That's not everything. At a certain point, it stops mattering, but that point is definitely not now for a guy who has less than 500 career uh, plate appearances. Uh, I, I think the jury is still out on one day. Swanson's going to be. I don't necessarily think he's going to be a star by any means, but he's better than, he, what, than what he is now. I'd be blown away if he was just somehow busted after being as good as he was last year and obviously with the prospect type that he has. The number one, number one overall pick, et cetera, et cetera. I just can't imagine he's going to actually, you know, flame out in spectacular fashion. So. We'll keep an eye on that, but Dansby has been bad. That's something I wanted to address, even though it's been a week now since he was not playing every day. I still would be getting getting him in the lineup. I would prefer him playing the major leagues every day, but if it's not the major leagues every day, I would have him be playing in Gwinnett every day. So uh, that, may, that may not happen, especially if the Braves uh, hold on into the sort of the 500 mark or somewhere around that going forward. Brian Snicker has been really, in, in my mind, in, pretty inconsistent with the way that he's jerked guys around. Uh, you know, Mike Fultonavich, we talked about this in our, on a previous show a couple, couple months ago with Mike Fultonavich. Uh, I believe it was with Zach Dillard. Fox Sports South and the way that he was traded in comparison to Bartolo Colon and R.A. Dickey, where you know Fulton Avich was uh, uh, there was he got the short end of the straw a lot of the, a lot of the time from uh, from Ryan Snicker. That's also happening now with Swanson. Uh, guys like Matt Kemp and and Mark, Nick Markakis have been really really bad at the plate for a long time, and uh, it seems to be that you know Swanson's getting the getting treated in the way that nobody else seems to be. Uh, that was the running joke, I believe it was again from Zach Dillard that uh, you know. Getting the best, getting the best team on the field has been uh, sort of the mantra for Brian Snicker. But at the same time, he was playing at Marquegas every single day for uh, you know weeks and weeks and weeks on end as a guy who was really really struggling and is still below a below replacement level player for the season according to uh, some advanced metrics. So uh, you know it's not it's not consistent. I think there's been a heavy reliance on veterans, which is fine. Um, but I think Swanson should be you know prioritized a little bit of a higher level, and uh, we'll see if that happens moving forward. But I, I doubt it's going to happen at least until the Braves get out of uh, sort of get out of the uh, playoff race for good. Hopefully that doesn't happen. 
Young as it's been more fun to track them uh, lately in the in the playoff race, but still. Um, there is that. Uh, Ronald Acuna and uh, Kevin Maiton, a lot of guys people were talking about them in the last couple of days and uh, you know even weeks, but Acuna's been just tearing the cover off the ball for a long time now. Uh, a lot of hype about him, even nationally. I think people are starting to go, uh, start, starting to buy in. I had a couple of people actually independent, independently of each other reach out to me this week uh, offline to talk about Ronald Acuna and his, you know, his service of fantasy, base, fantasy baseball and dynasty league, stuff, stuff like that, something that we're not going to cover on the podcast, but just people, you know, non-brace people starting to take notice of Ronald Acuna. It's been a lot of fun. You know, Kevin Maiton hit, a, hit his first home run. All of our prospect guys are down in Florida. Uh, at least they were down in Florida checking out a lot of uh, these guys, and they got to see him, the Maiton home run. They were really excited to see uh, that, and obviously he's a monster prospect, and the hype is started, starting to get um, sort of building, building once again. Again, on my time, it sort of went away when he wasn't playing, uh, wasn't playing a lot of baseball, and was sort of uh, fading into the uh, into the background. But now that he's playing on a regular basis, the hype is back, which is a lot of fun. Um, lastly, before we get on to some mailback stuff. Um, Eric O'Flaherty is now off the roster. Not a big surprise there, but sort of a housekeeping note that he was uh, he was released earlier this week, and uh, not a big surprise. Obviously, you know, O'Flaherty was really was really really bad this season. It has been bad for quite a long time. Uh, it was sort of a thing in the preseason where we were surprised uh, on the podcast and on, on the site in general on TalkingShop.com that O'Flaherty was basically gifted a roster spot. He was he was good in the spring, but if you looked at his numbers uh, before that and even in the spring, it was did not seem to be super sustainable. Uh, this year, he had a 7.85 ERA in 22 appearances with the with the. Brand. And that is uh, obviously quite bad. So not, not a big surprise that UF, the UF is gone. I, w- I wish him the best moving forward. Always a guy that people enjoy around the Braves organization, but uh, not the greatest performance of the season from him. Uh, lastly, we'll uh, start getting into the mailbag here. It's going to be a shorter podcast again, but plenty of mailbag questions that I will sort of breeze through here. The first one comes from at Jonesy two by four on Twitter, a good, a, a good friend of mine on on the Twitter sphere, a good Hawks guy, a good Braves guy, and he asks simply put, who is running the Braves? Uh, especially, it's kind of a tongue in cheek comment because a lot of the sort of the streamlined stuff that the Braves have been doing recently not made a ton of sense to me. Like Garcia um, pitching when there was no reason to really risk him pitching, I really didn't, did not agree with that statement. Uh, the Swanson stuff, the way that they're rushing fa- rushing guy through the major uh, through the minors potentially at least, um, it's sort of been a little bit inconsistent. Um, you know the, the line construction stuff with Brian Snicker. How much how much weight does Snicker have in the in terms of uh, the uh, call ups and send downs and uh, line construction stuff? So it's it's kind of an interesting question. I think I'm on board with him and not being on not, not being a huge fan of what's going on. And a lot of this stuff that's been happening does not seem like like copy moves. You know, John Coppolella is the guy in charge um, of the roster, quote unquote. But uh, some of the stuff you kind of wonder who has the final say on a lot of these things. But whether it's Snicker or John Hart or or Copy himself, uh, if, it, if it is Copy, then I, I'm happy to be wrong on that. But I just don't really see that necessarily. But uh, we, we, it's always important to note that teams that. People on the outside, like we are, um, even people that cover the team uh, closely every single day, do not always know all of the inner workings of what's going on in the front office and the manager's booth and uh, booth, so to speak. Um, but Brian Snicker, not not a huge fan of what he's been doing necessarily this season. But a lot of people swear by Brian Snicker as a player's manager. It's one of those things where it's a, it's a great debate to have around Snicker because the, the stuff that we can see, I am firmly convinced that he's a below average manager. You know, lineup construction, bullpen management, that kind of stuff, handling the players publicly. I, I don't think he's a good tactician in any way. Um, there's a lot of things that he does poorly on a regular basis. Um, at the same time, uh, there's it's sort of that uh, that unquantifiable stuff behind the scenes that Bobby Cox was great at, even Freddie Gonzalez was praised for early on in his tenure. Um, if, if guys are performing well, how much of that, that has to do with the way that they are very, very comfortable with their manager, etc. And I will freely admit that there's 
there's no way to sort of quantify that versus what this, the, the stuff that we see. Uh, I'm the first to admit that I've been probably too critical of managers in the past. And in the, at the end of the day, managers don't really matter as much as people want to think that they do. Um, in the same breath, when people do silly things mathematically or uh, strategically, it, it really does kind of grind my gears a little bit. And Sticker has done a lot of that stuff recently and really through his entire tenure. So again, I don't think he's a good manager tactically, but we cannot talk about the fact that um, I think people really, really like him in the organization and that does matter on some level. Um, next question comes from, from Anson Birch, and we got, we got a bunch of these, actually. How long of a leash does Jim Johnson have before he gets demoted? Um, actually, he cannot be devoted. Um, he, he actually would have to be just DFA'd. Uh, Jim Johnson has struggled um, at times this season. I, I do think there's any talk of, uh, of DFA in him is absolutely insane, uh, just because uh, he's a guy who has – He's one of your best reliever pitchers. I understand the performances can be frustrating when a guy is struggling in the way that he has, but um, there's no scenario in which Jim Johnson is not going to be on this team um, moving forward. I just don't see any reason why the Braves would move on from him. I know he lost the game, quote-unquote, on Sunday, but um, the numbers, you know, his his uh, his FIP is actually south of 2.5 for the season. That doesn't always matter necessarily when your ERA is north of 4, but uh, for Jim Johnson to get DFA with his contract, he would have to basically be – terrible like I'm trying to think of how long how long and how bad it would have to be for before Jim Johnson actually got um, full on DFA with all the money that he has remaining on his contract uh, I just don't see that as even a possibility that makes any sort of sense whatsoever I do have his numbers in front of me now a 4.10 ERA 2.53 FIP uh, on the season has a 10.8 strikeouts per nine 3.24 walks per nine he's been he's been very very unlucky with strain rate um, on the season his uh, best, yeah, just been very unlucky for the most part. He's still a uh, more than one war pitcher on the season, more of one win above replacement level, and uh, that's not a guy that you just give up on for any reason whatsoever. I understand uh, closers are always under the microscope because they uh, when they when they blow games or when they don't pitch well, it becomes the lead story because of the fact that you lose the game more than likely. But Johnson is owed you know almost five million dollars for next season. When you talk about the uh, I guess the signing bonus is already paid, but you know four and a half million dollars has some incentives and stuff like that. So he will not be going anywhere unless he just continues to implode, and I can't I can't imagine that happening. So sorry to uh, disappoint some people that don't really like Jim Johnson, but he's one of your best relief pitchers, uh, for better or worse. Um, Andy Adamson uh, on Twitter asks, uh, he only, you only got to keep three starting pitchers from the system, and the rest have to be traded. Who stays and who goes? Um, this is a tough one uh, because you have to tell me uh, – who the guys are traded for? Because in the at the end of the day, it's all about return. So I would take the best value. But if you want, if you ask me who my who my three guys that I'm making on the most are in the system, I will go with Mike Soroka, Colby Allard, and I will take. Ooh, this is a tough one. Those two are the easy choices. I'll go. Ian, I'll go Ian Anderson. I think um, he's a long he's a long way away. You know, being a high school guy from last year. But those are my three favorite guys. I think Soroka and Aller are pretty comfortably one and two. Uh, I'm not a huge Newcomb fan. Uh, he is obviously higher up in the system, and I, I, I'm not even counting Fulty in this in this situation. I think Fulty would be ahead of all of these guys because he's just much safer at this point. Newcomb, I think I would still have probably behind uh, the three guys that we're talking about here. But those would be my three. Not a big uh, leap of faith to talk about those guys being the ones because I think they're pr- pretty much the consensus if not. Um, those guys, you would talk about Kyle Wright, of course, but I, I will freely admit to not knowing quite as much about Kyle Wright as I do as I do about the rest of these guys. So I'll go with those three for now. Um, AJ Minter is a big topic of conversation. 
Uh, he's not been great necessarily, but has been has been good since coming back. Uh, it's one of those things where uh, you know I, I don't I, I feel like I, I'll always uh, defer to the minor league guys and this stuff because people want to ask me about AJ Minter and when he's coming up. Um, I'm going to pass on that for now. I think he's going to be coming if he's healthy and effective in the minors. He's an older, not older necessarily because he's only what is he now? I'm looking it up. 23. He'll be 24 in September. Not that old, but a guy who was supposed to be fast rising and has been fast rising. So I think he'll be coming up um, sometime soon, probably before the end of the season. There's no reason to not have them do that unless he is really struggling. Um, next question would be, why rush Sean Rodriguez back so soon? Why play an injured Brandon Phillips when we have to when, when we have to trade him? And uh, what what changed with Dansby Swanson? Obviously, we talked about Swanson. Um, I don't think the Braves are rushing Sean Rodriguez necessarily. I don't think he's looked potential, particularly great since he came back. But if he's ready to go, you want him to get some bats under his plate because of the fact that uh, he's a guy under contract for next season. You know, Rodriguez is not going to, you know, tear the world on fire, but um, he's a guy who you have for for next for next year. He's a, he's a, at worst a utility guy that's very very valuable. Could be a starter at least part part of the time based on the unrest at third base. He could be a guy who, that you could play there. I do think Johan Camargo's guy is going to be cooling off in the near future uh, at some point. I think his uh, numbers are not quite sustainable. So Rodriguez, if you had to ask me which one's going to be better next year for a full season between Rodriguez and Camargo, I'll take Rodriguez uh, at this point in time. So uh, I don't think they rushed him back. It was a little bit faster. People want to, people were expecting, but he was sort of given the all hand, the all uh, all systems go um, approval from the training staff. And the Braves are sort of legendary for being uh, pretty, pretty slow to get guys to rush guys back in terms of the manager, at least to making that final decision. So I think, uh, Rodriguez is a guy who could be around for uh, at least for next year and be valuable. So I had no problem with the way that they handled that. And uh, as as for Phillips, he did not look healthy to me over the weekend. Um, with that said, you know, getting him out there is not the worst thing in the world if he's if he's able to play. I think I do think that you know playing him at less than 100 percent is probably a little bit aggressive based on the other options that are available to you. You could be playing Camargo at second and Dansby at, at shortstop, for instance. Um, Ozzy Alves will probably be coming up in the near future, I would imagine. And uh, with Phillips, he needs to be healthy to establish any trade value whatsoever because he's one of those guys where um, he's been pretty good this year, but uh, in terms of uh, his value over most uh, most incumbent second basemen on uh, on playoff-bound teams, it's not, 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 not off the charts by any means. So interesting situation to see there. Um, Nate Roke asks, do you see the Rays wanting a better prospect or saving money in the Garcia trade? Um, for me, I would, I would certainly not like, not want to see them save money. I'd like to see them go with a higher prospect. Uh, I also don't write the checks, so it would not blow me away if the Braves, uh, wanted to uh, get off a little bit more money with Garcia based on the ownership, but I would hope that they would be willing to pay, you know, all of it if it, if it meant getting a better prospect in return, because that's definitely the better way to build your roster. Um, let's see what else we got here in terms of questions. Oh, yes. People were asking uh, who I thought would, uh, be the best option to replace Jaime Garcia in the rotation. Should he be, should he get traded? I will go with Lucas Sims. Um, I think he is the most, most, most interesting guy by far. You know, there was always a buzz about Aaron Blair, um, leaving the rotation and going at and being ready to go for the Braves if Garcia, um, did not if Garcia was not available to pitch. And that's not a big surprise considering Blair is, uh, you know, older, obviously a little bit lower ceiling than Sims. But I, I think Sims would be a guy I like, I like to see for sure in the rotation moving forward if uh, if Garcia was traded now. Because I think, there, you know, there's a possibility that Sims gets passed over the next year or two. But he's a guy who at least has the upside that I don't think Blair really possesses at this point in time. Um, 
Patrick Dable asked the best prediction for your opening day lineup and starters for 2018. It's really, really tough to do that. I will say that it will look a lot like this year's for the most part, I think. I'm hoping, beyond hope, that the Braves find a, find a way to uh, not be starting Matt Kemp and Matt Marquecas at the start of 2018. Um, that's not a shot at either one of those guys individually, but I, I don't think you can get away with those guys and those guys defensively um, based on what they're giving you offensively. Obviously, Kemp is a little bit a different situation because he's much worse defensively than Marquecas is, but also has been a more valuable hitter this year. Marquecas um, is a very safe hitter, but not a guy who can make up for a, sort of his, uh, his shortcomings defensively at this point. I like to see a little bit more upside, potentially Ronald Acuna, although it'd be very, very aggressive to have him start next year in the major leagues. It would not blow me away if that happened, but I think that's probably not super likely, but I like to see one of those guys moved on from um, Swanson at shortstop still would be what I would be doing. Uh, Ozzy Albies at second base, uh, Freddie Freeman at first base, uh, Tyler Flowers at catcher, third base, is up for debate. Uh, it could be Camargo. You could see uh, even Sean Rodriguez could, could start thir- at third base opening day. None of, that, none of that would surprise me, but I will go with Albies and Swanson up the middle. And uh, in the rotation, I think t- I think Tehran will still be on the roster, Fulton-Navich, Newcomb, um, and beyond that, I think they'll probably acquire someone either via trade or signing that's a little bit higher quality, and then uh, you know pick, take your pick of Lucas Sims or um, you know another free agent, et cetera, et cetera, another, another, another trade piece, uh, maybe even a fast-rising guy in the minors that uh, – basically just zooms up fast enough what he can he has to be uh, basically cannot be denied a, a roster spot so not not the sexiest thing in the world the Braves I think do have a, a, another move or two in them of a high profile nature but it's really tough to project that at this point in time especially without doing a sort of deep dives that we don't really have time for in this form but still uh, I think it'll be uh, pretty similar if not um, I, I was expecting an upgrade I think if we're, if we're projecting next year it's going to be a better projection than it was this year but uh, not huge leaps to talk about there um, could Camargo play right field? Asked Garrett Summers. Uh, I'm sure he probably could. Uh, I don't think he'd be t- particularly good there. And uh, his bat definitely profiles as more of a uh, infield utility guy than outfield guy. Um, I know Camargo has been ra- been raging hot this year. And listen, um, I talk about his bad bip all the time, and that should be noted that he's a guy who could have a, hot, a high bad bip based on his, listen, his his exit velocity numbers are very very good um, this year. So it's not like a situation where he couldn't be a high bad bip, a high bad bip guy at this point. But you know, based on the track record. You know him having a four. It was a four ten bat up coming into Sunday. Then he went over four, so it's down down to three ninety four. But I think he'll be somewhere in the mid three hundreds, which means you're talking about you know thirty forty points batting average. But not blew me away at all if he became like a two eighty hitter in the major leagues. But he doesn't he doesn't walk. Doesn't really have a lot of power either, and that kind of limits your ceiling quite a bit. You know five walks. And only five walks on 147 plate appearances, not terribly encouraging. And, uh, you know, you're going to need to be able to walk a little bit more than that when you're striking out as much as he is and not having the power that he just doesn't seem to possess at this point in time. Um... That's going to pretty much do it in terms of uh, mailbag questions. I could probably uh, scroll through some. A lot, basically, all of them are similar. You know, a lot, a lot having to do with Jim Johnson, a lot having to do with uh, where is Jaime Garcia going to go, and I don't really have any intel on that, obviously. Uh, I'm going with the same stuff you guys are going off of when it comes to evaluating trade destinations for these guys because, uh, candidly, I don't really have sources in that way. So, you know, DOB and Mark, Mark Bowman locally, and then, of course, the national guys, your Ken, Rose, your Ken Rosenthal's, your John Hammonds, have much better intel than I'm ever going to have, so I don't want to recklessly speculate. 
on uh, suitors, but Garcia famously has you know up to a dozen suitors at some point in the process. I think he will be the one guy who I can I would pretty much bank on being traded between now and our next podcast. Uh, it would not blow me away if another guy got, another guy or two got dealt. You know the Braves. A lot of people sort of seem to think that the Braves are going to be super active. People I trust and I think they're very very smart uh, are sort of projecting that the Braves will be uh, having a high flying uh, trade deadline. You know with two three four moves. Um, I don't I don't necessarily see that. I think it might be a more conservative deadline. I think it might be just Garcia that gets moved. There might be a, you know a more peripheral trade, a minor league trade, or Kaki uh, may be able to get off of Brandon Phillips or something like that. I would love to see the Braves try to get off Nick Marquez if they possibly could. That'd be my favorite target aside from Garcia. I mean, there's other obvious ones like um, like Brandon Phillips, obviously because he is. Um, He's expiring, but with Marquecas, I think we've now seen the, the the corner turned of him being a player that you cannot have on the field every day. Uh, he's basically been replacement level all season long and is an $11 million player. Uh, that was always the fear when you signed them. Uh, if you can go back in this space and listen to the podcast from when it first started or my writing from when that deal first happened, even before the podcast began, uh, the fear when that deal was always years three and four, and now we've seen in year three that uh, $11 million for Marquecas is uh, too much money and far too much money. He's also, at, at this point in time, the Braves are not um, in a situation where he's blocking someone outright, but a year from now, when uh, when and if Ronald Acuna is ready to go, he will he will officially be blocking someone, and that just cannot be a thing that happens, especially for a Braves team that theoretically next year will be a playoff contender, uh, or at least something approaching that. So it's time for that to happen. Uh, aside from that, though, nothing super obvious to me, although the Braves, you know, Copy's not, never been shy about making a deal or two or three or four or five. Uh, so if he made three or four deals between now and next week, it would not pull me away at all. But Garcia is going to be gone. That's, that'd be my my one predict, my one prediction. It's, not, it's a very, very safe one, obviously, because it's one everybody else has made as well. But there you go. There you have it. I appreciate you guys who made it to the end of this podcast. I know I am not the greatest solo host in the world, but I hope we'll be back next week with a guest. I have one hopefully lined up for that show and we're going to save it though until Tuesday it's going to post on Tuesday next week instead of Monday because the trade deadline is Monday so that does not do us any re- any real good to do a show on Sunday evening like we normally would with a deadline you know 24 hours later and if something massive happens we might do an emergency show but again I, because I am I am uh, working remotely this week it's going to be tough for me to do that but uh, fear not we will have a podcast wrap, the, wrap, wrap everything up from the trade deadline it's going to be posting on Tuesday and we're going to record it Monday night so stay tuned for that I promise that that show is going to be coming so don't freak out if you don't see a show on Sunday evening as we normally would have one so thanks as always for listening everybody please subscribe to the show on iTunes if you've not done, done that already also we are hosted on SoundCloud and of course with an official post for every single podcast that I write up um, on Monday morning on TalkingChop.com I really appreciate everybody listening and um reading for sure prospect guys are killing it the major league guys are killing it we're doing a great job over there talking if i do, I do say, so, say so myself and uh, i am just a, a piece of the puzzle a very very small piece of the puzzle shouts to chris and demetrius and eric and all those guys who actually run the ship and ivan all the all the great guys anyway uh, follow all of them on twitter follow the site on twitter on facebook all those things and we'll see you guys next week